Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Celebrate this July 4th with a special presentation of A Capital Fourth. Join your host, Vanessa Williams, with performances from Sea to Shining Sea, starring Jimmy Buffett, Gladys Knight, Alan Jackson, Cynthia Erivo, Pentatonix, Renee Fleming, Train, Jennifer Nettles, Mickey Guyton, Jimmy Allen, Ali'i Cravalho, Laura Osnes, Ali Stroker, and the greatest live fireworks display in the USA. It's A Capital Fourth, sponsored by the Boeing Company and American Airlines, Sunday, July 4th, 8, 7 Central. Only on PBS. Hello, my name is Dave Hanrady and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 61 of the No Encore Music Podcast. That's not the regular intro music, is it, Craig Fitzpatrick? Angelo Badlamenti. How are you? You brought back the nickname. Yes, of course. Because it's Twin Peaks Day. It's Twin Peaks Day. <laughs> How are you feeling, Colm? Or Regan? I'm keeping it together, to be fair. How'd you like your coffee? And all that kind of stuff. And all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah no. totally. So Twin Peaks is back after so 25 odd years. Been yeah. waiting. Not 25 years, but I've been waiting a while. Very excited. So Craig, you are a huge fan of this show. Yeah. Talk to it me Can only disappoint. It. Now, I'm currently watching it pretty much for the first time because I was too young when it was on the air and my brother watched it. So I knew the big kind of moments and stuff, but I just put off a rewatch for years and years and years, and now I feel like I really, really got to get back on back on the board. Loving that first season. <laughs> I currently have seven episodes left in season two, and I want to stop watching. Yeah, I suppose the good sign is that you love all the Lynch stuff, and he's directing all of the new episodes. So that's that does be sound good. Positive. I've been unusually confident about this. I, I think it's going to be great, but I'm man, I'm struggling with the season two back half. Yeah, it just got ropey as all hell. I mean, just some terrible directors got on board. They didn't know what they were doing. Um, but enough of that. But you're <laughs> such a fan, though, that yeah. you will defend this at the end of the year. I mean, like, y- you could argue that, you know, wait a minute. There's like, still ent- some entertaining, just ridiculous bits. And, perhaps you know. the majority of the show, can it really be hailed as one of the great shows, as it often is, if so much of the show is filler and it's not great? Yeah. I feel like... No. It's more... Oh, 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 oh hold on. <laughs> hold on a second. What was that? A mysterious man just entered the room. Is that Wyndham Earl? <laughs> no, it's producer Alan. Oh, shit. Hello. 
making his his on action podcast debut. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, let's see what's going to happen here. Alan, uh, have you seen Twin Peaks? Uh, I've seen one and a half seasons of Twin Peaks. It's uh, about right. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen the first half of season two. Okay. All of season one, which granted is good, and then I just couldn't. I couldn't keep going with season two. I just don't understand. It's not fun at all, and so I don't. I don't get why it's held up as so great a TV show. I guess first of all, just the premise, the atmosphere, and also kind of, I mean, it was it ushered in in a lot of ways that kind of golden age of TV, didn't it? Because it just took so many chances, and I think maybe the impact and, and culturally, in in terms of what Lynch was doing on the small screen, is more important now than the fact that there was a ton of ropey episodes in the second series. Um, but yeah, completely goes off the rails. But again, not really David Lynch's fault. But season, the second part of season two is worse than the first part of season two. Well, the first part of season two is pretty good, isn't it? No, it's, it's once they wrap up the mystery, the, yeah. and then once like a certain character exits the show, I have to That's say it's kind of it. Right? The drop in quality is so strange. It genuinely comes across like a brand new show yeah. written by totally different people who don't know these characters, and the new characters are all awful. Like I'm actively skipping some scenes at the moment, and I'm just like, but I hear the finale is amazing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Now I know what happens at the crux of it because it's just one of those TV moments that you see for years and years and years. But like. God, it's tough. And also, by the time that this podcast comes out, I will have gotten through the episodes because I have to get through the last seven episodes by Saturday evening because I'm going to go see Fire Walk With Me in the cinema. Where did the movies come into it? Are they good? There's just one. one There's just one. Yeah, it's actually kind of a prequel. And at the time, it was absolutely slammed because people wanted a continuation of what they got from Twin Peaks. But it was just, it's essentially a horror film. It's really intense. And it's brilliant. It's really good. But uh, yeah, at the time, it it did terrible business. But it's kind of a classic. I think it's been... It's now looked as, as a kind of classic. I think it? so. Yeah. The big question though, Craig, is, particularly if you're up early for work, are you going to watch the twin, the two-hour Twin Peaks comeback live at two in the morning <sighs> on Sunday night slash Monday morning? No, I'm not. And I was going to say because I'm on earlies, but that kind of means I could get up that super makes it a lot early. easier. Yeah, for you yeah. should totally do it. Although, what a way to what walk. What a way to go to work. Going to like. work. <laughs> like, I start the week. Yeah. That Craig just walking in, his eyes glazed over. Like, what's going on, Craig? None. Like, when it was announced last last year, it might be two years now at this stage, um, I remember just people online being, like, very seriously saying, okay, I'm um, I'm going to rewatch all the episodes, obviously. I'm taking the week off work. <laughs> this is exactly how I've laid out my week. I'm going to be meditating beforehand. I'm going to be drinking David Lynch's brand of coffee. <laughs> and I was just like, it's a bit much, isn't it? And now I'm like, I should have done that. <laughs> so I'm hype. <laughs> right, well, uh, Alan, will you be tuning in? Uh, yeah, well, definitely not at the time. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But I'll probably watch it. Somebody's got work to do on Monday morning. <laughs> it's, it's on at a reasonable hour on Monday evening, I think. Isn't it? Yeah, it's like 9, 9 p.m. kind of st- yeah. standard sky. Do, do you think I will have had to watch like season two to understand? No, it? you're grand. I think you're set. Pretty much. Get hype. <laughs> Get hype. For Twin Peaks. It's back. <laughs> Woo! And we might have Alan back on the show at some point in the future. Who knows? Yeah, I, I'm done with in that. The future. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> thanks, no Alan. Promises and were thanks, made for all, thanks for all the lovely audio. Yes. And uh, enjoy the audio inserts for this episode. <laughs> of which there shall be many. Lots of songs of the week, man. Heavy lifting. Can't Heavy. Wait. Genuinely can't wait. <laughs> Thanks, man. Okay, I'll just I'll just let myself out. You continue. <laughs> All right. Okay. He's going to start slamming around the studio. Isn't People it? love this kind of stuff, though. The ambiance and is that right? Point. Yeah, I think is so. that like a thing? I think so. Does yeah. that make us more relatable? <laughs> I don't know. We're, for we're the podcast next door. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> maybe I don't know. We're I always like just being kind of aloof podcast that people well, didn't really like. I've always <laughs> seemed attainable to other people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're coquettish, but you could totally land us. Basically, <laughs> is is where where we're going with that. Have a good one, man. Take care. Good luck. 
Right. Uh, we go. move to music now and yeah. uh, a story that's broken in the past couple of hours. A very sad story of the death of Chris Cornell. Um, obviously, this episode is going to be dropping in a few days' time in which stage there'll be an awful lot more information out there. Uh, we are not in the practice of sitting here and speculating, so we will not do that. But either way, at 52 years of age, it is horrible, horrible news to wake up to. Yeah, um, and adding to kind of how surreal it seems, I mean, obviously because of social media and just YouTube and stuff now, like you saw his tweets from last night, just hours before he passed away, and he was doing a show with Soundgarden. There's YouTube footage of the show itself, and he looks and sounds in absolutely fantastic form. So a real kind of shock. And... um. Such an influential musician. I mean, a huge part of that grunge scene. A lot of people would consider him the kind of godfather of grunge. Um, even among kind of such illustrious musicians, he was kind of seen early doors as like the leading figure before Nirvana. Probably. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. They, they they signed a deal before yeah. anyone else did, yeah. basically, in that scene. And as well, yeah, he was, I guess, a guy who just sort of pushed the boundaries a little bit from that point onwards. He was never afraid to kind of change things up. Yeah, like he was never a kind of careerist type. He just was gen- genuinely into the music wherever that took him, be it like kind of acoustic-y stuff, be it like obviously then he did an album with Timbaland, which was widely derided at the time. Um, but he took chances and he didn't really give a feck and it has to be applauded. And one of those voices as well that was so distinctive and like forever in your kind of yeah, childhood, amazing. your adolescence, your nascent music-loving earshot. Uh, when it came to that kind of grunge crunch, I suppose, uh, for whatever reason, I was more of a Pearl Jam guy than a Nirvana and a Soundgarden guy. But I had time for all of them, of course. And you read kind of biopics around the time and they just sound, it sounds like such a very interesting group of people to... I guess hang out with if you were to look at it like, if the writing is that good and it kind of brings you back to that kind of sense of place and time which a lot of the books I read around the time did and yeah this is a horrible horrible loss particularly because I mean like well not particularly because but certainly in light of the fact that he seemed to be kind of you know he had it back together and like Soundgarden came over here yeah. recently and I know, I know some people who went to that gig and said that he sounded better than ever they sounded even better than when they saw him in 2003 when he came over here with Audio Slave and Audio Slave were a band that I actually quite loved at the time uh, I remember when that first record came out I was working in like I was still in school I was working in a supermarket job and I remember the first day I got it I got it on my lunch break and listened to some of it at home before I went to my job and I remember like going to the job and being like all I want to do is keep listening to this record like it was just it was an immediate impact yeah. I mean like you, that like, was huge at the time because it was massive. rage and fucking that voice what yeah <laughs> I, but I remember, I remember reading about it like way in advance and, like, at one point the band was called Civilian and then they changed it to Audio Slave yeah. naming might not have been their strong suit but <laughs> the tunes certainly were uh, impactful and I mean like remember like Cochise coming out and that amazing build up with that video and uh, that, that's one of those like you know you knew where you were when you first heard it or saw the video kind of songs like it really had such a kind of like a real massive impact the follow-up records weren't quite as good but i still go back to that record like i I actually watched collateral again recently and even though the usage of shadow on the sun is quite jarring and it's probably down to the fact that michael mann was the fan more than anything else it's also an incredible moment that bit in the film where the coyotes come onto the highway or the freeway fantastic and jamie fox and tom cruise have that moment of existentialism now this is a horrible horrible loss i I, this was an awful thing to wake up to as well and just like trying to process it as we will in the days coming but Rest in peace, Chris Cornell, and thank you so much for all of the great music. Well said. In other news, mm-hmm. uh, Craig, I think, will have a lot more on this one because, you know, you're a business journalist these days, man. I am, yeah. You're keeping in touch with all the movers and the shakers, and some of those movers and shakers are politicians. And that's, you know, the British election's coming up now. I, I hesitate to go to you, Craig, because the last time we had a massive <laughs> British upheaval thing going on, you did famously declare that Brexit was not going to happen. Yeah. Stands by that. So what are I also <laughs> said that Trump was definitely not going to win. So for a for a hat trick, 
Craig, tap in for you right now. Who will the next Prime Minister of Great Britain be? Uh, Theresa May. Okay. And okay. I'm glad everyone should be glad I'm saying that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Especially Big Jezza. Um Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah, I mean Down with the kids? You gotta feel for the guy, don't you? Like at this stage, it's just like he's such a well intentioned, very intelligent man that has, you know, like very good ideas about you know making society a bit more equal and he's just constantly getting slammed until now yeah, but he's huge in the grime community yes, that's got to be worth the, something yeah the grassroots support is out and it sounds like grime which is very much now um a genre that you notoriously struggle with i do uh, like obviously jeremy corbyn privileged <laughs> upper class leanings do you feel a bit more in tune with it now that like that, that someone like jeremy corbyn who i assume is an avatar for you as well has gotten on board yeah, I mean, I do a bit. It, it's kind of interesting that um, you've got this kind of swell of support from the grime community. Obviously, they're ha- they're having a massive moment and they're kind of crossing over to the mainstream. And it's it's nice to see that they're actually kind of lending some weight and support behind it. It's the th- kind of thing that, you know, rock music used to do, like have a say about things that were going on in people's real lives. But now it's it's obviously moved on. We've had that discussion about guitar music being totally irrelevant. So this might, like, I don't know if people listening to Grime are necessarily going to be, you know, rallied to go out and vote, but maybe. I mean, It's definitely a better strategy for Labour than going on Twitter and being like, do you think that you could be an MP? Let us know. That was a good one, yeah. I enjoyed that. <laughs> Slide into our DMs. And give us your manifesto. I mean, at the same time, though, we talk about the, the, the sort of, you know, election a couple of months ago where Trump got in uh, with the support of basically like Ted Nugent, Loretta Lynn, Azalea Banks, and briefly Aaron Carter, but then he even he deleted it. Um, as opposed to like Jay-Z and Beyonce throwing Hillary Clinton at concert. And Katy Perry taking on all comers and so forth. Like, you've got to question how much musical endorsements are really worth. Yeah, these days. I mean, some of the support is great. I mean, novelist support was unequivocal. He tweeted, "Do not resign. The mandem needs him." Yeah. <laughs> uh, Storms. He did an interview with the Guardian in which he declared the leader of the opposition to be my man Jeremy. Um, I saw some sick picture of him from back in the day when he was campaigning against anti-apartheid, and I thought, "Yeah, I like your energy." And we do like his energy. I also it's enjoy- a bit low energy, but it's a good source of energy. I enjoy- Enjoy this very, very Guardian sentence of the politically active novelist was once a deputy young mayor for Lewisham. He has tracks tracks such as Tax the MPs, which layers someone screaming, liar, liar, pants on fire over a sample of a David Cameron speech. Edgy, (laughs) edgy stuff. Uh, No, it's interesting because, I mean, like, like, it's always awkward to see, like, you know, a politician being, like, down with the cool youth but I think everyone's really rooting for Corbyn this time so let's let's hope that Craig's prediction is in fact correct and as well (laughs) well, it's not actually his doing so to speak wrong wrong, wrong prediction sorry there's a yeah a a voting registration website right now called Grime for Corbyn uh, featuring a song called Corbyn Rhythm and uh, which takes one of his speeches and puts it against like this massive instrumental. Shockingly, it's not great. And uh, yeah, more people are tweeting hashtag Grime for Corbyn. I mean, this, this has never worked, really. No. <laughs> uh, you could maybe make a case for Tony Blair getting the kind of nudge from Britpop, but he was going to win anyway. Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, the, you know, the artist rallied behind him and he just got him across the line. Um, so yeah, I mean, nice sentiment, but the future is bleak, folks. <laughs> Well, what kind of future does it hold for an artist like Avril Lavigne? Especially Don't you mean Melissa, Dave? Well, I'm not sure, man, <laughs> because about 12 years ago at this stage, th- perhaps more, there was a massive conspiracy theory, which I believe circulated on Live Journal of all places, <laughs> and essentially alleging that Avril Lavigne passed away and was replaced by a lookalike that she had previously hired 
to kind of ward off anxiety and have her step out in public for her. For some reason, I guess just because Twitter and things just taking flight for no real reason, uh, someone posited a thread about all this, essentially kind of repeating what had already been put out there before. And wouldn't you know it, it went viral. Of course it did. Of course it did. Yeah, I mean, we're talking uh, like about the supposed differences and, you know, we get back to this whole Paul McCartney thing of just looking at like two photos and being like, okay, this is strange. Levine wears trousers. Melissa prefers dresses and skirts is my favorite line. Case closed. Case closed. <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's proffered as proof. Yeah, also <laughs> like this thing of, you know, she, the real Avril didn't really like the publicity when things kind of exploded at the start. So they just went to all this trouble of finding someone that looked exactly like her. What yeah. they would have done is just like, you know, pumped her full of drugs or maybe just got her some like PR training. <laughs> uh, Colm, you asked before on the show if I had a crush on Hayley Williams of Paramore fame mm-hmm. back in the day. And I said, no, actually, right. I, what? Didn't, I, did, I didn't really. But Avril Lavigne, on the other hand. <laughs> did you? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Were you that skater boy? I wish I was. <laughs> I'll tell you what I wasn't, though. So did you spend, like, a portion of time jealous of Derek Whitley from Sum 41 well, not and the, Chad Kroger? Not in any kind of weird way that I thought that I could land Avril Lavigne <laughs> and who were these rock stars palling around with my girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't delusional. Did Melissa say recently something about, like, she, the term skater boy was a revolutionary act or something like that? Yeah, she, she did. Was, yeah. And she also tweeted out about, like, you know, her new record deal. And someone on Twitter quoted that tweet and went, oh, Melissa knows that we're suspicious. <laughs> which I really enjoyed but I guess the question I would I would ask though is I mean like do you guys think that you're punk sorry do you think that you're punk no absolutely not Craig yeah really punk as fuck wrong answer man wrong answer <laughs> this is what you should have said I'm not a punk rocker I don't have punk music maybe I have some punk characteristics about me that, did I say that properly yeah yeah maybe I have some punk characteristics about me but I don't walk around calling myself punk. It's more punk to tell people you're not punk than to sit there and say that you are punk. And whatever. I, if you, if you want to know what I think that I am, I think that I'm just a rock chick. And I like to rock out. I like to throw shit around. I like to go nuts. I like to lose myself on stage. I like to scream. I like to holler. I like to break things. I like to yell. I like to get my anger out. So Avril or Melissa, yeah, I can't argue with that, and I won't even try. <laughs> but uh, something else we've got on this week, I think we should give kind of a bit of a mention to... Craig, you're a huge fan of The Strokes. Love them, yeah. They're There's, breaking news. Yeah, <laughs> this is known. There's a book coming out called Meet Me in the Bathroom, Rebirth, and Rock and Roll in New York City, 2001 to 2011, by Lizzie Goodman. New York Magazine ran a excerpt from this, which was just talking heads, essentially, a transcript of, and it was kind of basically the rise and fall of the Strokes and the New York rock scene at the time. It's been doing the rounds. It's quite the read. Yeah, you kind of pushed it my way. I'm glad you did, because it's, it's a great read. And I love those talking heads things where people are being interviewed separately, because you get this, you're like, you're just jumping from one person's recollection of something to the next, and it's sometimes hilarious but most of the time like you get a kind of proxy thing of like what actually went on especially when they're all so wildly <laughs> drug addled <laughs> yeah I mean it sounds like the Strokes had a really rough time and the gist of the piece is kind of like you know they should have been the band that became the next Nirvana or whatever um, and it didn't quite happen for them and it lays bare really why um, lots of drug problems Ryan Adams hanging around well, yeah, it's all, it's all <laughs> Ryan Adams on the, the subject of that uh, <laughs> former guest of the show George Morahan yeah. put up a tweet and said my favourite part of that Vulture Strokes retrospective was the smash cut that undermined known drug pusher Ryan Adams 
I need a screen grab which says the following. It says, Julian Casablanca says, did I specifically tell Ryan to stay away from Albert? That being Hammond Jr. I can't remember the details, to be honest. I think heroin just kind of crosses a line. It can take a person's soul away. So it's like if someone is trying to give your friend a lobotomy, you're going to step in. <laughs> Ryan Adams then is up next. I didn't do drugs socially. I, I don't remember doing drugs at Albert ever. I wanted to smoke cigarettes and drink like dark red wine or vodka and write all night. And then the final quote here is James Endicott, former A&R exec, saying, Albert getting into smack was just ridiculous. <laughs> now, George put up that tweet. Yeah. He didn't tag in Ryan Adams. And Ryan Adams favorited it. Oh. Or liked it or whatever. Yeah, I, I mean, know. <laughs> yeah, Albert also talks about his kind of relationship with Ryan as well. And an even more damning indictment, I think, is that Ryan comes across as the guy at the party who's constantly just grabbing the guitar and going, oh, I'll just play this song. And then yeah. when someone else is just like, well, I have a go. And he's just like, no, no, I know that one. I'll play that. So, yeah. That's, I think it's, it's terrible behavior. You will agree, Dave. A hundred percent. People sitting around the living room trying playing guitar, trying to impress somebody. You know what, man? It's like, come on, grow up. And, like, what kind of song would you go for? I mean, like, like, if you're the kind of reprobate who would, like, bust out, like, Nights in White Satin or something. <laughs> Can we have a bit of Nights in White Satin? No, we Classic. can't. No, we cannot. <laughs> I've brought my guitar. Yeah, I was about to say, you can go home and play it later. Because I love you. Do you know what my favourite bit is, though? Not in Nights in White Satin, in the article. <laughs> <laughs> It's that amazing. Uh, it's when Courtney Love is described as the Strokes' Coke Yoda. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Coke Yoda. My favorite is when somebody casually notes that Room on Fire is just as good as Is This It. Oh, yeah. Do you know what? Room on Fire is kind of in its way also a perfect record. I think it's a great album, yeah. but I don't think it's quite on the level. Yeah, I'm, I'm the exact. It was definitely it's unfairly. It was kind of unfairly cut to shreds. Oh uh, yeah, because it wasn't Is This It. But I couldn't what quite. Is? I couldn't quite meet that. Yeah, and again, I mean, like, you know, an article as good as this did make me go back to the strokes once again. And I remember, I've said before, you know, I've, while I think his is, is amazing, I'm not sure if it's, you know, as good as everyone says it is, but uh, it is. I think yeah. it's it's a phenomenal album. So um, anyway, that, that article is uh, part of New York Magazine right now. The book uh, should be out soon. And yeah, very interesting reading. Hopefully, in fact, uh, once we have a chance to actually digest the whole thing, we might be revisiting it on this pod. However, it has been crazy busy as far as tracks are concerned this week. So we shall kick off with a taste of what we're hearing uh i'm gonna pick a number number three please okay buddy it's muse they're back it's called dig down and it sounds like queen dig down dig down dig down and find faith when you're close to the edge the gun to your head You must find a way When friends Are thin on the ground And they try to divide us we must find So that's uh, Muse, as I said Not giving up the Queen Tribute Act anytime soon What did we think, gentlemen? Womp uh, it, It's trite, isn't it? It sounds like something that's going to be played over the montage of like someone coming back from injury or some community initiative to fucking plant flowers in the roundabouts or something. It's it's crap. Like it, it's not just oh no. I didn't hate this. Um, I will say that it's certainly I wanted something more like Origin of Symmetry style because that's kind of the return that I've been hoping for them for quite some time. And clearly we're not getting it. I mean, like it reminded me a little bit of Madness, which I feel is actually a genuinely excellent song that they put out a while ago. Even if that does also flirt with Queen and quite blatantly with U two as well. 
I used to love Muse. They were a big temple band for me growing up, and I kind of went off them. This was disappointing. I didn't think it was dreadful. That's the lyrical sentiment that's killing me here. Is though. there lyrical sentiment? Well, Trump's a clown, and, you know, we need to soldier on. Yeah, and, like, our video was inspired by a TED talk, and you're like, of course it was. Of course it was. Matt Bellamy's actually selling his um, condo in Lake Como, or by Lake Como in Italy. You, uh, I was you, reading you this today on businessinsider.com because they had like photos of it and stuff. Apparently he now lives in LA. He spends most of his time in LA. Um, he bought one house off Adam Carolla and he bought another gaff for 7 million quid a couple of years ago off Pete Sampras. Oh, and there was one shot, there was like shots of the inside of this Italian gaff and there was actually photos of the bathroom. It's just like this massive bathroom. And I was thinking, you know, Matt Bellamy, he loves his kind of tech and his guitar stuff. I'm like, he definitely wrote some guitar stuff while sitting on that toilet. <laughs> so, so did Prince, though. And that's all I have to say about this song. <laughs> <laughs> Every room Prince's golf was wired for sound. Yeah. At that quiz that we did recently, by the way, my, uh, my, my childhood adoration for Pete Sampras was brought to the fore. Remember that? He was a hairy man. Slam dunk smash. Probably more so now. Very hairy man. Um, yeah, this is, as you say, like I'd written down Latter-day Queen rubbish, really. Um, and the sentiment doesn't really work with that wompy nonsense. And then the guitar volcano thing arrives about, like the final third. But it doesn't actually, it's not building towards that. It's just tacked yeah. on. and it, it It's uninspiring. They yeah. certainly are digging down creatively. And at least it's not about drones, though, I suppose. That's always a good thing. Craig, isn't it? may I have a number, please? Number one. Okay. Back at it once again. It's Mogwai. Instrumental Mad Men Mogwai back once more with a song called Cool Vereen, which is definitely up there in the worst song titles of all time stakes. Um, I'm a fan. I've always been a fan of Mogwai. I think they are definitely recognized rightly as forebearers of post rock, even though they hate that term. They make glorious, gorgeous, sweeping instrumental sounds. I'm a huge, huge fan. I mean, this is more of the same, but like, what else are they going to do at this stage of their career? I quite like this. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's not reinventing the wheel, but it's demonstration of what they can do really well. It's kind of slow burning and there's order in the chaos when it expands a bit. I suppose, you know, this is what their ninth studio album uh, this is taken from. Uh, Every Country's Sun is what it's going to be called out September. But so this is their ninth studio album. Then, like, they've got a bunch of soundtrack work in between. They obviously had, like, Minor Victory spin-off for Stuart Brightweight and all the rest of it. You're kind of forgiven for thinking, like, do we need another Mogwai LP? But then you listen to this and you're like, okay, no, actually, a full album of this I can definitely work with. It's not changing things in any dramatic way, but it's very good. If someone's thinking of doing like an arty film where which just basically consists of Zidane on the touchline for Real Madrid, this will work perfectly. <laughs> it is definitely from that kind of black spider school of or like, you know, earlier still kind of come on die young, subtle, dark, brooding beautiful stuff it's it's really good i like that like, i like i like the last lp uh rave tapes which was kind of more 
a lot of it was quite ele- electronic and stuff. That's true, and I remember yeah, at the time yeah. people were kind of like, oh, this isn't what Mogwai's about. And it's just like, they're kind of damned if they do, damned if they don't. Absolutely. Uh, but they're damned if they do, damned if they don't, even from their own fans. I saw their 20th anniversary show uh, in the Olympia, I think it was two years ago now at this stage. Yeah, that was the time your laptop lo- broke and I was like, if a hipster goes to see Mogwai and can't blog about it, <laughs> doesn't make a sound. Can't tweet about it, if it is what you said. Yeah, yeah, that's when I pour- poured a pint glass of water on my, my laptop, mate, rest in peace. And uh, I remember even the fans were like, is that it? After it was over. And he was like, that was fucking amazing. They only took the roof off, Kasabian style, <laughs> when the synth in Remurdered kicked in. That was one of the loudest things I've ever heard. That was an incredible gig. I'm such a fan of Mogwai. Stuart Brightway, you mentioned there, is a great guy. I've had the pleasure of interviewing him a couple of times. Mm. Very gregarious fellow. And yeah, they're, like, they're a band that I'm happy to just keep making music. Like, I don't need them to be wildly different every time. If it justifies a tour and, and you get a few new great tracks out of it, which again, as Craig says, very atmospheric, very soundtrack-like. It's a welcome return for me, and it's a win for this week's song is the week mm-hmm. oh hang on there's four more <laughs> Cullum give me a number uh, number five please okay this is a band that Craig adores and I wonder if you do too this is Broken Social Team This one's called Hug of Thunder. Did it wrap you in a warm embrace? It did. I really liked it. I love Broken Social Scene. Yeah. And I think, you know, you actually mentioned wrapping in a warm embrace. Kind of intimacy is something that they do really well, especially for, you know, a large sprawling collective or mm. whatever. And this song does it very well as well. It's got that kind of slow build again. Um, it, it's quite lush by the end of it. Uh, it's great to hear Leslie Feist back in the fold. Um, and apparently they're going to have like the full complement of everyone who's ever been part of Broken Social Scene as part of the new album. Um, Amy Million and um, Emily Haynes and everyone else. Um, yeah, great start as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, apparently all 15 of them. There's yeah. really 15 are back on board. And yeah, I mean, Leslie Feist is a legend. This is a great song. Uh, we had Halfway Home already, which was much more kind of, we're back, kind of charging, you know, grandiose thing. Um, and this is the other side of Broken Social Scene. And it's even kind of more exciting for me. I mean, I just think it's a gorgeous song. They always kind of, they sound like summer to me as well. Just like I love yeah. their kind of previous LPs. So this arriving around about this time was like, ah, this is great. It's so like evocative. I've talked before about my sort of happy festival memories of the band, oh, which yeah, indeed yeah. were revisited Oh, last you and Toby? Year. Yeah. You and Toby Kerr? So yeah, yeah. So it, it, it's nice to think that, uh, yeah, there might actually be quality Broken Social Scene songs to be played at festivals in the future. I listened to this uh, the other night when there was like a blazing sun and then there was a massive sun shower which got quite heavy. So it was like this gorgeous kind of like closing off of yeah. summer into like this really loud rain on my window which is like one of my favourite sounds in the entire world. Love that. Huge fan. And it kind of dovetailed quite well. I think this is a beautiful song. Yeah. yeah. Canada's best band. Sorry Arcade 4. <laughs> yeah, I might go along with that. Yeah, why not? Fair <laughs> enough. Craig, there's three numbers left and they are two, four and six. I want a two, please. Okay. It's back to her roots, Miley Cyrus. The sky is more blue in Malibu. Next to you in Malibu. Next to you. We watch the sun go down as we're walking. 
Now, this song is called Malibu. It's been getting a bit of a kicking in the press, particularly Pitchfork, who noted that it makes Cheryl Crow sound edgy. Is it just me, or is this quite charming? I mean, this is the thing. It's weird to kind of put into the topography, I suppose, of Miley Cyrus's career, where if this song had arrived in, say, 2010... When it was kind of party in the USA stuff. Great shit. song. You kind of say. What an era. The whole punk thing was kicking yeah. off. <laughs> but you kind of see how it would fit in, or like, you know, you would expect it from her. But listening to this, it's as though the whole, you know, bangers, uh, maturation, uh, flaming lips, dead pets, all that has just been pushed to one side again. Oh, yeah. She's, and you're just like, what are we getting? It's a research. It's a hard research. She's yeah. reining it in. She's gone too far. She's re- She regrets the, you know, uh, wrecking ball stuff. I mean, she looked into the void and Wayne Coyne looked back at her. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the result. Episode title. Can you sort it out? Um, but yeah, this is like, you actually start hearing that kind of like Tennessee twang again. In oh, this. Yeah. And then it does... Like you have the muted electric guitar and things. It's you got think a weird it's Phoenix kind of, guitar line. Yeah, you kind of. It seems like it's going to be a weird alt country but poppy thing, yeah. and then it goes into a kind of uns uns like Chris Martin Adventure of a yeah, Lifetime yeah. thing with the guitars, and it's totally just. I mean, it's very beige. It's about it getting is. back together with Liam Hemsworth <laughs> and standing on a beach and the sky She's being blue beige as and then being like the waves coming in and out and it's not great. But it's fine. It's inoffensive. I don't know why I like this, but I do. I you mean, know like, what? I'll, I'll actually, I will say one thing in its defence. I quite like the fact that she sounds quite weary. Yeah. Like, like, well, there's a line where she says something to the fact where she goes, oh, if you told me I was write, I'd write this song three years ago or something. And I was like, I believe her. Yeah. I actually believe it. And I believe because, you know, because of going through that kind of phase of her career and just going so far in one direction, now going to the other one. I always like to see people try something different, try and even reinvent themselves. Now, granted, there's an article on Vulture at the moment uh, <laughs> called The Trouble with Woke Pop Stars, mm-hmm. which is worth a read. Yeah. And they kind of compare Katy Perry to Miley Cyrus to Lana Del Rey with the conclusion being that Lana Del Rey is actually like you know the person that they should aspire to be because she has always kind of at least lived her own truth her own narrative and all that kind of stuff live your own truth Dave yeah you know (laughs) every day it's a ridiculous sentence I know Uh, thank you for seizing it upon it immediately (laughs) Craig there so, will be an apology next week. What I would say, <laughs> what I would say is that, that the article is interesting though, and it kind of pauses that like this Miley Cyrus thing is a bit cynical, and maybe it is, but I kind of believe her, and I quite liked it. Now the video is interesting because the video is like the underlying definition of how she is effectively like between two personas, so to speak, right. because it's a mix of like wholesome and. Not Hannah Montana. No, <laughs> no not quite. But it, but the, it's her on a beach. So this is old ground. I mean, this has been covered. <laughs> but it, it's her like parading around on a beach, and she has balloons and isn't wearing much. And it's like, yeah. but it's this mix of like wholesome and kind of you know provocative. And it's like okay, I mean like I it, you know it's kind of like, it's like Boardwalk Empire, Jimmy Tanuki. You have to be. You can't be half a gangster. I, I, I'm wondering if she can pull this off. Right. I wonder if she can pull off this kind of reboot because that's what it feels like. But uh, no, I mean, I went in expecting this to be like country trash, and maybe it is, but I don't know. It, it it has charm, and I quite liked it. It's not as good as Malibu by famous uh, Coke Yoda, <laughs> Courtney Love, <laughs> I have to say. It's probably unlikely to have the cultural zeitgeist impact of that song. I agree. Colm, there are two numbers left, and they are four and six. I'm going for the bottom number six, please. All right, it's Selena Gomez. This song is called Bad Liar, and it will remind you of somebody. I'm a bad liar I see how your tension builds It's like looking in a mirror 
Yes, she is clearly breaching into the talking heads well there. Does she do a good job? I think she does. Yeah, it's a great song, actually. Yeah, it's a belter. It's a fucking belter. I love this. Cool. You know what? Oh, here we, here we oh, fucking God go. Sake. Here we go. I must say, I like a lot of the sort of parts here. As you say, the kind of Talking Heads sample, or, or borrowing from Talking Heads, at least, I suppose. Um, the kind of less is more approach, which we've obviously given props for, uh, as far as Selena is concerned before, in a song like Good For You. But to me, it sounded a bit twee or something. It sounded like this is the song that would soundtrack, like, one Tree Hill or Gossip I gotta disagree Girl with you man because she's actually just put out a cover recently of Only You for that wildly problematic 13 Reasons Why show mm. which I quite liked as well it was a bit of a twist on that kind of industrial pop take on it which I quite enjoyed this to me sounds like an artist in full command and confidence which was definitely beginning to come to the fore on Revival that album which has good few on it from a couple of years ago which I really enjoyed and uh, no this to me I, I, I must disagree this to me sounds like someone who was very very at the top of her game almost. I, I think this is an absolute belter and I'm going to say it right now, guys. Sound of the summer. It's the sound of the summer. Joins join a lengthy playlist there, yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I, this is as strong as anything that Calvin Harris has released off that new record so far for me. Ooh, I, think it's I don't great. know about that. I, 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 I this mean, is I like a really, it. really good meandering in the best kind of way pop song with a lot of different hooks. I know what comes getting that. It does feel like a jigsaw that's been, yeah, like, uh, that's been dropped, but yeah. I think it's very impressive. I agree with that meandering thing. I mean, it has that Talking Heads sample, but actually reminds me more of Tom Tom Club in terms of like a genius of love thing where it's just this repetitive, very sparse thing. And then what she does on top of that is the kind of the meat of it. And it's good, yeah. And finally this week, and perhaps appropriately uh, to bring us into our album review in a moment, it's The Stripes. They're behind closed doors, but they're still making a lot of noise. Am I right? Not wrong. Okay, the stripes. Now, if, if someone has never heard the stripes before, you guys have been up close and personal. Tell us who they are. Yeah. So, I mean, the stripes obviously emerged at the age of like what, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. There's a year yeah. between the youngest and oldest, or two years between them. But either way, it's very, very, very young guys who are playing this kind of throwback '80s blues rock or '60s blues rock, should I say? Mm. And obviously, looked odd quite frankly because they wore suits I mean there's nothing wrong with that even though they once slagged me in a hot press tent in front of a full audience for wearing a polo shirt and it was a nice polo shirt (laughs) they're like nice polo shirt mate didn't you get your own back by telling them that they had to be in bed at a certain time I didn't tell them they had to be in bed but I was talking to their manager and yeah and I was just like see you off now are you yeah I'll call it a night it could have been worse I was like cracked open again (laughs) it could have been worse you you, you could have like really really trashed them in a review that your own father said was too harsh (laughs) so we turned to Dave <laughs> and then one of their mothers got involved in the comments and slagged off my music taste yeah I wrote that review mm. and I stand by it wow. well they've certainly changed their sound so oh, you um, mean the singer has decided who he wants to sound like now has he 
Well, the singer's always kind of sounded like himself, but what they've done is, and they've been saying this for the last couple of years, um, their favourite kind of record seems to be My Aim Is True by Elvis Costello. And, I mean, that sounds, this sounds very much like that. It's, it could have fallen out of 1980. I mean, it kind of has squeezes up the junction as its sacred text, really. And I, I, I very much enjoy the kind of modishness of it. And I think they've taken a lyrical step forward. Yeah, it's fun. When it slows down the tempo towards the end, I think it drags on. It's a it's a good minute too long. Um, but the initial kind of flurry, was like, oh yeah, they're doing something quite interesting. I think it sounds like the opening credits to a bad Guy Ritchie knockoff heist gangster lads movie. So something by Paul Weller is what you mean. Pretty <laughs> much, yeah, yeah. Call him. I, you know, I don't mind this. I mean, like, is it great? No, it's not. But it certainly seems to have a recognition that the goalposts have moved somewhat. Mm. That, you know, they could probably get away with certain things and youthful exuberance would sort of fill in the gaps and, you know, almost people seeing them as a bit of a novelty act, which fairly or otherwise was probably how they were viewed a little bit when they first arrived. Oh, completely. Now, obviously, you can't get away with that anymore. You're into your 20s. You've been around the block a few times and, you know, you've got to make music that's going to stand on its own two feet. And this is certainly a move in the right direction in that regard, I think. I'm still curious to see what they will sound like in 10 years or if they'll even still be abandoned in 10 years. If they manage to overshadow the gimmick, I will reassess my statements. But I do believe that at the start they were quite cold, cynical and calculated, even if probably not their doing. You know what? Mm. Can I just jump in and say that last year I literally had to interview them uh, at the drop of a hat when someone else didn't turn up to do it. Uh, again, in front of a crowd and they could not have been nicer. Oh, they're great. Yeah, they're great. Lads. Like, they actually helped me out because clearly I didn't know anything. I hadn't researched. And they're very, very passionate music fans. And that's what you're hearing. You're hearing kind of kids that have been trying to, you know, process the stuff they're listening to. And of course, it's going to sound like their influences. But yeah, I think they, they could have an interesting career. I Marry mean, them, why don't you? <laughs> I just might. Well, well, all of that rigmarole yeah. <laughs> brings us to the main event this week. Yeah, and quite fittingly, a guy who we first got to know in his teens and has now essentially moved into adulthood. His name is Harold Styles. Mm -hmm. His album is called Harry Styles. And this, uh, let's have a track. This song is called Woman. Hi, I'm Eric Monkman. I'm from Oakville, Canada, and I'm studying for a master's in economics. Stephen? 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 Steven? Okay, that's clearly not the song. Can we have woman, please? Okay, I don't know what's happening. Uh, let's go for a different one. How about Kiwi? No, some, I don't get it. I mean, that, that was clearly American Woman by, Lenny, by Lenny Kravitz. Play Caroline. No, no, that's stuck in the middle with you. <laughs> I see what's happening here. Craig, two ghosts, you say. Here's that. How I wish, how I wish you were here. Blatantly Pink Floyd, wish you were here. What, like, for me, only angel. 
brown sugar. <laughs> this is getting out of hand. Uh, how about how about ever since New York, maybe? Okay, well that's just Prince. So, can we please have an actual song from the Harry Styles record? Meet me in the hallway. I just left your bedroom. Give me some more. Is there any more to Okay, that's Meet Me in the Hallway, the opening track on Harry Styles, and uh, probably the best minute on the album, I would say, the first minute, and then he, he starts singing a bit too loud, and then he gets a bit more into it, and I was really enjoying the the haze beforehand, I quite liked the serpentine guitar and the bass notes, it was, kind of felt quite hypnotic, and then he kind of steps all over the arrangement, but I still think this is one of the better tracks on a record, which, if you hadn't guessed... Really, 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 really borrows from different things. Oh, yeah. I mean, we knew that really from the first two singles where Sign of the Times was, well, the name was from Prince, the style was from Bowie, there was touches of Queen, the Beatles, Robbie Williams' Angels in there, and then Sweet Creature, which was just Blackbird, basically. So we knew that this was going to be derivative. I think what was probably a little bit surprising is how broad the palette from which he's been borrowing sounds has actually been because this has managed to both be unoriginal but so spectacularly varied at times yeah um is he the savior of rock and roll gentlemen (laughs) (laughs) because he certainly is going for that sound and i kind of have to say i mean when we're talking about um some of the songs of trails the release of this album i had kind of suggested and i remember even saying sorry maybe this is a bit patronizing but he didn't really sound like or come across like someone that really cared about the music whatsoever. I will say, at least with the styles he's going for this, I mean, he's clearly not going for, like, number one, or hopping on any bandwagons. I mean, this is stuff that is definitely not flavour of the month at the moment. But where is he? Where is is Harry Styles? Where is the person? Where is the artist? Where is the craftsman? Well, I think there's a few glimpses on this. Um, I agree with you. I think he exists best in the kind of that hazy thing. I think he actually has a very good voice. He does have a very good voice. I agree. I think there's yeah. certain moments where you kind of get this jaded sense of where he's at and who he is, and he can pull it off really well, which makes me think he could actually have some longevity. Yeah. Um, and, then, I mean, he borrows so liberally from, you know, other sounds and melodies and stuff that it's actually kind of, you know, a fine listen. You see, You're he- not like, I have to turn this off. I mean, you like, mean? you said that there's moments where, like... and. The moments are very few and far between for me. I mean, he said very earnestly that this was going to be his honest album. I think he was quoted uh, talking to the Sunday Times last week and said, like, you know, at certain times you write songs where you just want to tell the whole story. And if this is actually him telling the whole story, then he's an incredibly boring and uneventful life. Because there's not much here. The problem with this, I suppose, is, yeah, lyrically, I mean, it's what we were talking about in the news where rock music or guitar music doesn't really seem to have 
anything to say because these are all just I mean he's described it as a, a song cycle about like relationships and that's such a kind of pretentious way of saying yeah I'm just kind of talking about vague women I might have had sex with like well yeah. that's actually a point I want to bring I want to talk about because uh, he got a lot of you know hashtag woke points for his profile very very gushing profile penned by Cameron Crowe mm. writer at large for Rolling Stone yeah kind of bigging up female girl fan base yeah basically. i mean like which is great i mean like like i mean he was like kind of like harry Styles was saying like why is a teenage girl's opinion on music any less credible than a 30 year old hipster guys now mm-hmm. i gotta say my ears were, were quite burning on that one but he's right he's totally right like it, like it shouldn't come down to ageism or gender at all and i think that's a cool thing to say and like fair fucking play to him for for saying that and for like having the back of a fan base that he totally appreciates the opportunity to tune into their frequency for however Yes. Then you get to the album, and his portrayal of women. Yeah, he's it, kind of burying them a little bit. It's isn't not he? good, is it? Because yeah. I mean, like, you know, he, there's lyrics in here. Like, he's got one, like you know, um, in Kiwi, where he says, "And now she's all over me. It's like I paid for it." He's got one. I think it's only Angel, where he says, "I couldn't take you home to mother in a skirt that short." Yep. The object of his desire in Carolina is a good girl, but she's pretty much a vapid, pretty vacant nothing yeah. uh, woman, which we heard Eric Monkman's excellent version of there leading us in. Uh, it's just called woman. Like they, they, they doesn't they, even give her a name. What the fuck? So yeah. like, I just feel like in the final song. I think he's demanding an apology for from Curly who's moved on. Uh, yeah, and, and it's like after he's had a wank. Yeah, <laughs> and don't get me wrong. I mean, like so many songs are born out of heartbreak and born out of resentment and all that kind of stuff. And it's how you choose to dress it up. And on other tracks, like he's clearly pining over someone that he has massive respect for. But like, it's that kind of strange confliction, especially if you're going to come out and make a statement that big in which people will just yeah, run and screenshot that quote and go on Twitter and go, oh, it turns out Harry Styles is a really cool guy. And it's like, yeah, well, maybe he is. But like, surely if you have the ability and he has the ability and if you have the power and you got to think that he must have some power and some cloud of his own, bring that to your songs, mate. That's exactly it. I mean, you know what, though? To be perfectly honest, it doesn't trouble me massively if he's not bringing that to his songs. If he's putting, you know, his actual self into this song. So basically, however he may feel, just tell us. Let us know. And he doesn't do that. And you mentioned there's a lyric at the start of From the Dining Table, which is actually for me perhaps the album's highlight. Because it sounds like a song that a guy in his 20s might conceivably write. Yeah, Brian Adams wrote it about when he was in his 20s. Yeah. <laughs> Let me down into your beautiful girl Flowers in the love of mine Sorry, go ahead. But so... He was asked about, by the New York Times about the masturbation lyric and, you know, he kind of waffled for a bit about context and interpretation. It was very much a standard answer that you get from a musician who doesn't really want to get into too much depth about a particular line. But then he said, was that an all right answer for the question? I think it was all right. I think we danced around that one. OK. And it's like, I'm ch- I think that's the mentality that was brought to this album as a whole was just, is this all right? Is this OK? Does this tick enough boxes and keep people off my back and so on and so forth it felt yeah clawing and just looking for kind of legitimacy and authenticity and approval throughout the record just like he did with that answer yeah and I do think I mean rather than be you know problematic I think a lot of this stuff is just a bit groan wordy because it's so cliched I mean it's just like oh she's a good girl I think it's more of a, a shortcoming in ability to kind of write nuanced deep stuff as opposed to not you know deciding not to make any kind of great you know 
statements. Um, this also feels like Harry Styles and the session musicians. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like it just feels like, hey, he, we had some recording time. Harry's a big fan of this particular Elton John song. Here's his take on it. You know what? I'll be fair, Dave, and say that like if you're suggesting there was kind of laziness here or any sort of complacency because we said before like they know they're going to sell millions here and they oh know he sold that, like, out his entire world tour in like 10 seconds yeah or something but at the same that. time like laziness and complacency isn't complacency a factor here. complacency is a factor here you see, do you I don't think, think, I don't think a, so. a lack of quality control you see, no but, but Dave you see the thing is like I think rather than complacency, it's almost the exact opposite. This to me sounds like restless and insecure in any one sound, and that's why it ends up jumping about so much. It sounds like it's desperate to have that sort of like, you know, context in a sort of broader cultural way that it's ended up sort of working itself into a tizzy rather than sort of resting on its laurels. Yeah, and in fairness, I mean, to the musicians on it, some of the kind of highlights that actually hold this whole thing together is interesting stuff going on underneath kind of what he's singing. Yeah. And there's some great bass lines. Um, again, you know, obviously some of them sound eerily similar to other songs. But uh, I think it's well put together. It's kind of concise enough. I mean, the quality level isn't hugely high, but it's not like, well, this is a total absolute dud no not at all but it's um, also it is it's a wool pulling over the eyes exercise as well because a, an awful lot of people are like oh hang on this is alright to like well now you <laughs> see this is the thing yeah like the reaction to this album has been generally positive I mean to be fair it hasn't had the sort of like swing from the chandeliers reviews that the first single suggested that it might get but it's been fairly well received I'd argue that's been generous yeah, well, I, I would too. I think it's been very generous. And the problem, I think, is that the bar was set... Solo. Solo. Yeah, they li- They literally said, you know, like, does it sound different to One Direction? Oh, fair play. And that's not There's really... also a dearth of compelling male solo pop acts at the moment. Absolutely. But you know what? Even He's then... He's filling a gap in the market, but the gap in the market is one that we don't quite need. Yeah, but as well, I mean, like you mentioned kind of like, you know, compelling pop acts. And I suppose if he'd gone the direction of like, you know, an R&B tropical pop, maybe they'd be the comparisons that should be made. And indeed, I think he'd fall quite short on that. But like with this, you know... For me, it's not good enough to say, like, oh, it doesn't sound like the work of a boy band member. And by no means am I suggesting that these names are, like, the Mount Rushmore of modern songwriting or whatever. But if you take, like, your James Bays and George Ezra's and even Ed Sheeran's 20-something-year-old British singer-songwriters right now, Mm. how does this stack up? Really, really poorly, I think. Not only that, but, I mean, like, a lot of people are kind of saying... Ah, well, there we go. We know who won that battle uh, when we stack up Zayn's album next to this. I'm sorry, Zayn's album was disappointing, but at least it was... I felt like it was him. It felt like it was him in his own words. Nah, I yeah, don't know. I felt like that was a bit of a compromise as well. I would There's rather, definitely I would rather well, listen to this record than Ed Sheeran's latest, I have to say. Yeah, sure, but at the same time, well, this record doesn't make you not go, oh, actually, I'd actually rather listen to the best of Elton John. <laughs> yeah, Elton John's everywhere at the moment. Yeah. I mean, Elton John Missy Elise is doing, <laughs> you know, kind Elton of... Elton John's great. Like, he but is. I mean, but it, yeah, it is very much that soft rock 70s vibes. That's kind of hard not to... It's a driving to, album. It's a karaoke yeah, record. That's yeah, what this is. And there's a level of molly coddling with this as well, though, where it's just like, ah, look at him there, all, uh-huh. all edgy and rocking out. And it's like... In his pink suit. Yeah, but it's like, he's... Yeah, but it's like, he's not a... Seven-year-old who's just emerged from the dressing-up box. Like. But that's what it, it feels like. People want Harry Styles to be good, to, to succeed, to be good. Like for whatever reason, they're just like, oh, look at him there. It's, like it's he's because, handsome. He's, he's it's good. because like when he was in One Direction, he started growing his hair and getting tattoos, and he looked a bit like someone that might have been in the Rolling Stones in the sixties. And people were just like, well, <laughs> so that's who so he like, is let's now. Run with that, yeah. like, kind, I mean, it kind of is. 
is, isn't it? But see, the thing is, like I say, I mean, like he is not, you know, playing a character, and he's not—he's no longer so young that you can go, oh, well, that's kind of cute. Yeah, he's twenty-four, I believe. Twenty-three or twenty-four. Twenty-three. One 23. Or you turn twenty-three in February. Yeah. Okay. But, <laughs> okay. Okay. Harry Styles fan site. But either way, like he's a—he's a—he's a high-profile, multi-platinum, like music industry veteran at this point as yeah, weird no as one, that no, sounds no, no, nobody's expecting metal machine music here. no but at the same time you know that's next that'll be his next album it's <laughs> fair to demand a lot more than we've been given absolutely yeah I mean it's weird there, there's a one two punch of songs in this that literally made me as I was running like guffaw cry <laughs> is it only as woman loudly. and then kiwi Yes, it is. It, yeah. Oh, so it's the oh, loudest I've laughed since I terrified Cullum. Man. <laughs> after he suggested that people were eagerly waiting and I just described, in my review, I described Kiwi as the unholy union of scouting for girls and jet. Somewhere in Australia, the lead singer that. of Wolf Mother is wobbling around on a tenth point of the night, just going, I told you it's still fucking relevant. It also made me think that, like, if he had grown up in, like, 1980s LA instead of wherever he lived in Britain. He'd be dead by now. Yes, yeah. and he would have been in Mo- crew actually <laughs> what he wants to be is a 80s glam rocker i think like that's totally his attitude so, so this in, is a weird are, glam are we in this, are we in this weird moment now where the stripes are starting to develop a bit more musical teeth than him can i say ever since new york i think is a great song there i said it no it is it's actually but it, just separate yourself from harry styles yeah. in the context of this album it's a, it's a good, good song. song it's a good and song. it's exactly what he should be doing i mean lyrically it works yeah but it's a combination I, of baker street and a prince song i know <laughs> but listen i mean everybody nicks stuff at this stage yeah yes. on every track on this record it is a good song it's a bit long though and ah, is it that great. song where like there's a lyric on it when i was like holy shit that's the fucking that, that's my kind of thesis for this record <laughs> talk amongst yourselves guys while I go oh is this the one where he's talking about like just on board with you know no no no, no it's, not that, it's not that there's I'm a really good lyric in where he's gonna like, I like the image of like there's no water in this swimming pool I'm like yeah that is a proper that's what Harry Styles life is it right. where he's hanging out at gaffs where there's no water in the swimming pools yeah. so I mean, there, like, <laughs> well, Harry Styles level. has and that's what he should be talking about I think coming away from this album as well it's just that weird sensation where we, you know, we often say, especially with a, with a debut album or a solo album, we say like, you know, what direction are they going to go in or what direction are they headed in? Whereas right now, do there's about <laughs> six different directions As that opposed could to, go. No, <laughs> I'll leave it, Craig, we're trying not to. But seriously, yeah. it's just like, what what might album number two sound like? Who knows? Literally no fucking idea from listening to this. What we can't say is he's got Good taste in music. Sure, he's Ste- got he's got a good voice he's when it's used okay when, it's, sources, yeah. when it's put in the right context. He actually has a very good voice. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. If with he that. could be molded, if he got songwriters in, the, the, actually, the bizarre thing is the last like five songs are all from the same like three, sorry, four songwriters, including him. Yeah, they're so weirdly different. You know what? The other thing as well, though, is that like for me, at least, I say. Try like try to tell those other songwriters and collaborators to step back for a while, because as much as he says, you know, I'm going to write an honest album. You mm. can't write an honest album when you've got five other lyrics. Every song has like six writers per track. You yeah. can't do that. By the way, the lyric I was looking for from Ever Since New York in the chorus, which he says a lot, is "Tell me something I don't already know." Yeah, yeah. it's a which great is, chorus. Yeah, but come on, I tell me something one. I don't already know. Yeah, Are yeah, you yeah, kidding yeah. me? Know, yeah, yeah. And to be fair as well. But that's why I love that song. It's such a jaded thing of just him being like, okay, yeah, with this, like I'm sitting here with a person and we've got nothing I to say. I want to say as well that Sign <laughs> of the Times fares no better in context than it did when it was a single. I have calmed down about it, but it's still not a good song. And also, uh, Sweet Creature to me is an instant skip button. 
Like, yeah. I have to be, I actually, I'm like, nope, can't listen to it. Sure. I mean, like, it's too mock, I, I said at the time, yeah, yeah, like, you could swing a cat at an open mic and hit five people who could Spot do the same on. song. The problem is that I think those five people would also probably, in the minute afterwards where you apologize for hitting them with a cat, probably open up a little more than uh, Harry Styles does on this record. Um, I said it about Robbie Williams when we reviewed that all those months ago. I said, it's a bad sign if at the end of an album I feel like I know less than when I started. And that is kind of the case here, both stylistically, lyrically, melodically. There's just a lot of question marks that are left hanging mm. when really you feel that, you know, the 10 song, 40 minute effort should be answering them for you. Yeah. I mean, are we going to do scores? Because I feel like if this wasn't a Harry Styles record and it was maybe some Irish act, you'd be kind of like, oh, maybe this is like a six out of 10. And then I have to go because there's so much cribbing from other stuff. I mean, that's a probably a point taken off. So it's probably a five out of 10. But I will say, as opposed to you, Colm, and I feel like I'm becoming the person on this podcast that's like the kind of teacher that's like, oh, he's a good lad. If there's, you know, stuff there, he'll do well. Yeah. I kind of see like he might grow into someone that at least has one or two, if not guilty pleasures, like songs that you're like, yeah, that's kind of a banger. Like, I think he might do some interesting stuff. Um, There's signs there. So five out of ten for me. Yeah, I, I would go slightly lower. I, I was thinking, I, I think a four would be a little harsh. I'm going four and a half. Well, you see, when it came to my own review, uh, which I did for Drennan Sound, and which I did, by the way, you know, quite quickly because I actually quickly, was, Dave. Well, see, this is the thing. I mean, like, 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 it's a fair cop. I give out about people rushing reviews all the time. I had my review written like fucking less than forty-eight hours after I heard this record because I was like, I've heard all I need to hear. I was like, I, I, I really have. No, yeah, I, I mean, don't know. No, no, no. I read. I really I don't know. Read. That fifteenth listen, Dave. <laughs> I will say that I wrote a first draft at like you know two in the morning on the Saturday. I went back to it on Sunday afternoon, evening, and I did a second draft. But like the point is, I had all I needed. I really did. Like like this was so open and shut for me. It really was, and I wish it wasn't, but it was. Now, when it came to scores, which of course I find increasingly prickly and annoying, um, I go by there's a magazine called Clash. If you go to clashmusic.com or if you just go to Google and type in Clash Music, uh, Clash likes to score. Their rating system, uh, they're 1 to 10. Someone did it up a couple of years ago and they did a paragraph on each number. And I got to say, like it's it's kind of my Bible, really. It, it totally works. So I came down like Cullum. I was like, 4 seems harsh, 3 seems really harsh, but it's feeling that way for me. So I want to qualify this by just explaining really quick their definition for a 3 and their definition for a 4. The definition for 3 out of 10 is this. An album of frequent failings where ambition is evident, but its execution tremendously mishandled. Could do better, so much very better. Their explanation for 4 out of 10 is, here's where things get more interesting, as the acting question has clearly aimed to extend its remit to work up existing strengths and take them forward, but while not awfully realised, the results don't do justice to the intentions. Ultimately, the record cannot be recommended to anyone outside of its maker's most loyal fan base, and that's why my score is, of course, 3 out of 10. Yeah. Fair mm. enough. What else... It's worth giving a spin to, or should I say, what is worth giving a spin to full stop, since we can't seem to be uh, recommending that very highly. I finally got into Thundercats' new one, uh, Drunk. Okay. It's amazing. It's really good. It's really, really good. It's like that oddball soul thing. Very good. Have you listened to it? I haven't. Yeah. Check it out. Uh, new Mac DeMarco, which we'd kind of talked about before its release, mm-hmm. finally got around to that. Very good, I must say. Okay. Um, I have been listening to the new Paramore record. All right. After Laughter. And uh, I've only given it a few spins. It hasn't really held my attention. I've seen a lot of Paramore fans kind of raving about this one. Yeah. And specifically raving about Hayley Williams' personal lyrics and that kind of stuff. But I'm not really a fan. I don't really know them that well. So I'm, I feel like it's like, you know, outside the party looking in type thing. But sure. um, I will say that it doesn't quite 
uh, maintain the strength of its lead single. Yeah, I mean, we even said that when the second single came out, you felt it was kind of reverting, reverting to, to the type normal a little bit. bit yeah. yeah, but at the same time, it does have that aesthetic is up there throughout. And like, the problem is that like, you I mean like, I guess if you're going to get personal, you guys could probably guess what that means. And what it means is, oh, here's the big acoustic song a couple right. of times. It's good. It's a good record. But I mean, ultimately, I don't know Paramore well enough to really kind of judge it properly. So what I would say is I found it interesting enough to listen to, but not memorable enough to stay in my head. But Cullum and I are probably going to go along to that gig. So who knows? Why not? Perhaps the tracks will take on new life. Guys. Yes, sir. Thanks so much. Thank You're more you. More than welcome, Dave. Thanks for having us. Twin Peaks, Twin Peaks. But we won't have Cullum next week. No, I'm off to Aww. a wedding. He actually waved. He actually <laughs> waved there. He'd wave yeah. at Craig. It's the door. No, I'm literally <laughs> off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm literally yeah. off. <laughs> so we'll have to get by without you. Perhaps we'll bring somebody in next week. But we, actually, no, hang on. that's not entirely true. You will be here next week in some fashion. I will indeed. Yeah, I'm going to contribute a little something uh, towards the end of the show. So do, that. do tune in. Well, I won't say who it is, but what I will say is we are bringing back our listening guide next yes. week. And Cullum's choice this time. So we're going to have some phantom audio recorded at some point down the road. And uh, who knows, might even, get a, might even get in someone to cover you. But who could possibly cover you, man? That's true, mate. I don't know. Thanks. I just don't know. Guys, you're both so handsome and pretty. <laughs> I love you very, very much. Hello, Alan here again. Uh, instead of playing out this episode with an Irish track as we normally do, we're going to play uh, a Chris Cornell song, a Soundgarden song, uh, given the circumstances. So um, this is Black Hole Sun and all the stuff Dave normally says about there being no encore when there always is. Okay, bye. In my eyes, in this pose, in disguises no one knows, has the face
Drown my fear Till you all just disappear Black hole sun Won't you come Wash away the rain Black hole sun Won't you come Won't you come Black hole sun HPN, the Headstuff Podcast Network. See headstuff.org for more details. Be winter soon, lads. Oh, fuck off, would you? <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy! Thanks. The order breakfast at the McDonald's drive-thru. Tell yourself you'll wait to eat it at work, but it smells way too good. So you eat it right there in the McDonald's parking lot meal. There's a meal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, get any size iced coffee for 99 cents until 11 a.m. And pair it with your favorite breakfast sandwich or one of our tasty bakery treats. Price and participation may vary. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. McDonald's. I'm loving it. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.